you have your copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13. Last week we began a short series called Make Disciples and that title was taken from the central command of Jesus' great commission for His church. As His people under His authority we are to go and make disciples of all nations. And we began to ask the question, what does it mean to actually live that out? What does it mean for us as individuals and as a church body to focus our living in a kind of Great Commission lifestyle. A lifestyle where honoring Jesus and fulfilling His will is the most important thing in our lives. And we looked at last week Matthew chapter 4 and saw that living out the Great Commission, the great commission begins by following Christ. This morning we want to pick up on that idea and see that following Christ ultimately means living a life of sacrifice. We want to see that this morning from Hebrews 13. We're only going to be focusing on verses 12 through 14, but in order to get the context, I want us to begin reading in verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through His own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. This morning our theme is sacrifice, sacrifice specifically with Christ. So we will understand what that means, I hope, better by the end of our message. And this morning as we think about sacrificing with Christ, we must first be reminded of the danger of sacrifice that we must flee. The danger of sacrifice that we must flee. Really, it's the danger of not sacrificing that is what we must flee. As the title of this book implies... This letter is written to Hebrew Christians. And in order to understand uh, the passage and specifically the, the high calling that is given here to those Christians, we need to understand something of the context of the book as a whole. And in fact, understanding the context of the book will help us to see the danger of, the, of sacrifice that we must flee. These were people who grew, who were ethnically Jewish, who grew up in the religion of Judaism, who at some point heard the message that Christ was the Messiah. They believed that message and professed faith in Christ and began to live as His people and to worship and serve Him as Lord. But then life turned up the heat on these Christians. The implications of their faith in Christ were made real to them. For their fellow countrymen, their Jewish friends and family began to revile them and to persecute them for their faith. 
These Christians would have been mocked for their faith, not just from their Jewish neighbors, but also from the Roman citizens. For Christianity was not considered a legitimate religion at the time. So from all sides, these believers would have endured difficulty and hardship, even suffering the loss of jobs and income. And as all of this began to increase, the solution to their problems, the solution to enduring or rather fleeing from all of this suffering became clear in their minds. Let's just go back to our Jewish roots. Let's just go back to our Jewish roots. At this point in the history of the world, the temple built by Herod is still standing in Jerusalem. Sacrifices are still offered daily. The day of atonement sacrifice is still offered yearly. And the security of Judaism, the security that that temple setting would provide, called out to them. Not that they would stop believing in Christ, but perhaps there was a way to continue to worship Christ and yet still remain inside the camp of Judaism. After all, if they went back, then their family and their friends would forgive them. They would be restored to those relationships. They would be able to have table fellowship with them once again. The Romans would see them as participating now in a legitimate religion. and would not mock them or give them grief for being defiant in the empire. Food might actually become plentiful again for them. And it's in this context, the author of this letter of the Hebrews writes to these professing believers to encourage them to persevere in their faith. He explains to them that they cannot, they cannot be faithful to Christ and return to the ways of Judaism. Verse 8 is one of the most famous verses in Hebrews. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But remember the context in which it's being written. He is telling them Christ always has been and will forever be Lord and Savior, even when the circumstances of your lives change. Hebrews were tempted to believe themselves to be abandoned by God because of the hardship they faced. My life is bad. My life is difficult. Therefore, God must not love me. Therefore, if I go back and, 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 and yes, still believe in Christ, but mix it with those old sacrifices, maybe that, will, maybe that will cause God to love me a little more and find me a little more acceptable. And the apostle is writing to them to remind them the Christ who meant so much to them at the time of their conversion. The Christ whose glory they so clearly saw when they believed in him is the same Christ then and today who sits at the right hand of God the Father. He is the same Christ who bought them by his own blood, shedding it for them on Calvary. And so these Christians then faced a choice. They could either follow in the footsteps of their forefathers in the Old Testament in places like Kadesh Barnea and refuse to follow God's will for the life, to rebel against Him. Or they could be faithful to God in their confession of Christ as Lord and endure the same shame as their Savior did. As Jesus' people, they could not and they should not expect a life of comfort but a life of sacrifice. And throughout this letter, the author has been encouraging them by telling them, remember Christ, remember Christ, remember Christ, look to Christ. Remember His glory and His sacrifice. And this morning, we need to understand that just as there was a great danger for those first readers to want to live out their Christianity under the safety of the accepted Jewish temple, so there is for us today a great danger of wanting to live out our Christianity under the acceptable steeple of the church. 
there is a great danger for us to desire to flee hardship, to flee suffering as we seek to live out our Christian life. And we very much, both at individual moments and in the large moment of where we find ourselves in this country at this time in church history, we very much stand like the Israelites at Kadesh Barnea with God saying, come into this will that I have for you, this taking of the promised land. It will be difficult because you're going to be rooting out the enemy. You'll be driving the Canaanites out. But do not fear for I am with you. I will give you success. And Likewise, we stand today with a choice of God saying, advance my kingdom through the proclamation of the gospel. It will not be easy. It will demand sacrifice. But do not fear, for I am with you. I have gone before you through my son Christ. And just like these Hebrew Christians, just like the Old Testament Hebrews, we have the choice of either rebelling against God and saying, no, I'm fine to live a nice, safe, complacent life, still loving Jesus, but not willing to sacrifice for him. Or like that second generation of Israelites, we can press on into the promised land. This brings us to the second thing that we need to see this morning is that just like these early Christians were called to remember the example of Christ, so also we need to see the example of sacrifice that we must follow. And this, frankly, is where we will spend the most of our time this morning. The example, of Christ, the example of sacrifice that we must follow. Listen to what the Word says again, verse 11. Reminding them of the, of the animals, the sacrifice that they're wanting to go back to. He says, remember, the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through His own blood. In verse 11, the author of Hebrews is reminding his readers of that old covenant sacrifice that was offered once a year on the Day of Atonement that we read about in Leviticus 16. It was the sacrifice that represented the atonement made for all the sins of the nation once a year. It was a sacrifice that was still being offered in the temple in Jerusalem. And notice that he draws their attention to the fact that the sacrifice that was offered on the Day of Atonement was not like the other sacrifices that were made. The priests, you remember, did not have land of their own per se. They did not have a a share in the promised land. Rather, their share was in the temple. And so when someone would come to make a sacrifice for their sins, they would come to give a thank offering or something else. Whatever was not consumed, whatever was not offered up, they would get what was left over. That's what they survived on. And yet this sacrifice was different. On the Day of Atonement, there there were no leftovers, but rather the whole sacrifice representing the sins of the people was taken outside the camp and burned. There was to be no part in the sin of the people. In the Old Testament, being outside the camp represented everything a good Jew wanted to stay away from. That's why the sacrifice was taken out there and burned. Being outside the camp meant being in a sinful place. We've already said that the priest taking the sacrifice outside the camp represented the sin leaving the camp. But listen to what Leviticus 16 goes on to say. He who burns a sacrifice outside the camp shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water and afterward he may come into the camp. Being outside the camp was so associated with sin that the guy who carried the sacrifice out to be burned in his totality couldn't come back in until he got clean. He had to wash himself and his clothes and then and only then, ceremonially clean, could he come back into the camp. 
Secondly, being outside the camp meant being in a despised place. If we go back a few chapters in Leviticus 13, here's what we would, here's what we would read as instructions from God to His people. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. If you had some contagious skin disease, whether it was a day or whether it was a week or whether it was a year or whether it was something you had for your entire life, you would have to go outside the camp. And when those would come near, you would have to warn them that you were unclean, that you should not be approached. And you would yell at them, stay away, unclean, unclean. Then, outside the camp also meant being a dangerous place. Jumping ahead to Leviticus 24, we read about those that blaspheme the Lord, those that would defy Him and speak against Him. And in verses 13 to 14, we read this. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Bring out of the camp the one who cursed, and let all who heard Him lay their hands on His head, and let all the congregation stone Him. So are you starting to get an idea about the kind of places outside the camp were? Are you starting to get a visual idea of what it meant to go outside the camp? They're not the kind of places you want to go on vacation. They're not the kind of places you want to go even for a visit. They're the kind of places you tell your kids to stay away from. Bad things happen outside the camp. Stay safe inside the camp. But what does the author of Hebrews say? The body of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places with a high priest to sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through His own blood. When Jesus came as the Messiah, as the promised Savior, He was sacrificed like the offering on the Day of Atonement. And on that cross, Christ bore God's wrath against our sin. He served in Himself an atoning sacrifice for His people. For all who would look to Him on faith, they would find their sins forgiven and then being restored to right relationship with God. Through Christ's death, we are saved from our sins. But notice, Christ offered Himself outside the camp. Literally, when you read the accounts, his own people despised him as the Messiah. They led him outside the city gates of Jerusalem, and there they crucified him. That very act of crucifixion meant he was considered accursed by his people. In Galatians 3, Paul reminds us, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written in the law, curses everyone who is hanged on a tree. The very act of crucifixion meant he was despised and someone that was associated with being outside the camp. But that was fitting because during his life, more than just in death, but during his life, Christ went outside the camp, didn't he? He intentionally went to those people that were considered sinful, those people that were despised, those people that were dangerous. He went where they went. He stayed where they stayed. He ate where they ate. He healed them in their disease. And so Hebrews says this, Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through His own blood. Verse 13, Therefore, let us go to Him outside the camp and bear the reproach He endured. Do you see what He's saying there? He said that part of Jesus' mission was not just to happen to find himself outside the gate, but to intentionally go outside the camp. Essential to Jesus' mission was to go 
where those people were. And if we are to be his people, if Jesus was to be believed when he said, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you, then part of our strategy, part of our mission to make disciples, part of our desire to fulfill the Great Commission means intentionally going outside the camp. What does that mean for us? It means going places we don't want to go for the sake of the gospel. It means going places and being with people who are sinful, despised, and dangerous. It means going to those parts of the city that are known for crime. It means going to those places where the prostitutes and the pimps hang out. It means going to those places where drugs are sold and crime takes place. Going where the the homeless wander the streets. It means going to other countries where acts of terrorism are likely to occur, where people are also starving and diseased. It means going to all the places that we would frankly rather not go because Jesus went there and he's still there now. I was just listening the other day to this testimony of a pastor who, because of his previous work in missions, he was able to go and he was working with some underground Chinese Christians in the uh, illegal house church movement. He was teaching them and he was doing training with them and he said that it was a kind of a bizarre experience He said as soon as he was picked up at the airport, some guy knew who he was and what he looked like, and he's a tall, blonde, thin guy, and they said he immediately went and got a jacket and put it over him and put this big hood up over his face, and he said, don't look around, don't look up, just watch my heels as I walk in front of you. The the point was that, you know, if the right people are looking, they're going to see this Western guy going into a city somewhere and not come out for a couple of days. They're going to think, I wonder if there's some Christians there. And they're going to go and find them and put them in jail. And so for uh, the the couple weeks that he was there, basically stuck in this little apartment, there were all these Chinese Christians there, and they were endeavoring, among other things, to learn Arabic. Why? Because they said Afghanistan and Iraq are places where people need to hear the gospel. Now, here here are people that every day, every day of their lives, their very existence as Christians in China was dangerous to them. There was the threat of of being in jail at the least, beating possibly at worst. And yet, what did they say? The gospel is taking root in China. The gospel is going forward in China. It's not in Afghanistan. It's not in Iraq. Are those places we want to go to? No. Are those places outside the camp? Yes. And that's why those Chinese Christians want to go there. They said, that is where Jesus is. Notice Hebrews does not say, just be like him. It says, let us go to him outside the camp. It's as if Jesus himself is still outside the camp waiting for his people to go that he might minister through them to the power of the gospel. Let's be honest with ourselves. Let's be honest with ourselves. Most of us don't go outside the camp, do we? Most of us in this country want to live out a Christianity that is more or less acceptable to the world. A Christianity that even has some level of respect by society. Many of us want to follow a Christ who never asks us to be cold or uncomfortable or have to work among the dregs of society. We want, a, we want to follow a Christ who calls us to save all of our money for retirement and plan to ease into the good life as we reach senior adulthood. But loved ones, that, that kind of Christianity... That kind of Christ isn't just found in the Bible. He's just not there. We see in the Bible a Christ who says, follow me. And in following him, we hear him say things like, a servant is not greater than his master. And take up your cross and follow me. 
Christ went to the sinful places. He went to the despised places and the dangerous places. Christ lived a life of rejection and humiliation. Jesus went outside the camp for sinners. And He wants us to do the same thing. To follow Jesus is to live a life of sacrifice. And I don't mean the kind of comfortable sacrifice where we skip a few meals at McDonald's and give the money to the church. Or we come and we show up every couple of months and vacuum the floors and feel like that was a sacrifice of my time. No, we're talking about the kind of sacrifice that means you're not always safe and you won't always have everything that you want. What is that going to look like for this church? Well, it might mean spending some time with a Good Samaritan Rescue Mission. It might mean saving up and giving extra money to those going on the next mission trip because you know you can't go. It might mean giving up your job, learning another language, dedicating yourself to living in a third world country so that Christ might be made known among a people that has never been made known before. It might mean realizing that this building is not our identity as a church and if we have to give it up to reach more people for the gospel, that's okay. That's okay. For others of you, it might mean just taking some time out of a lazy Saturday to drive around the city you live in and pray for the poor sinners who live there. Hebrews says, let us go to Jesus outside the camp. Why? Because Jesus did it. But also because it's worth it. It's worth it. This is the last thing I want us to see, the encouragement for sacrifice that we must embrace. The encouragement for sacrifice that we must embrace. I know that what Hebrews calls us to do, what Jesus lived and taught seems to us the opposite of the way things should be. Just yesterday, as we were driving around... Uh, with the kids praying and Melinda was, was, was reminding them of her dad being in two car accidents within just a couple of weeks. And from the back seat came the question that, that most of us always think in those circumstances. Precocious little five-year-old girl asked, if God loves Papa, why did he let that happen to him? Isn't that what we think very often? God, if I love you, you should take care of me. God, if I love you, I shouldn't have difficulty in my life. God, if I love you, if I'm, if I'm faithful to you, nothing bad should happen to me. I should always have food. I should always have money. I should always have shelter. I should have a nice, easy life. Isn't that what we think sometimes? If we just love God, then He won't let things, he won't let things bad happen to us. But that's not what living for Him means. It's not what loving Him is all about. In fact, God is very clear that loving Him, living for Him, means experiencing difficulty. So some of you are thinking, then why should I live for Him? Why should I love Him? Look at what God says through the author of Hebrews in verse 13. Therefore, let us go to Christ outside the camp and bear the reproach He endured. Why? For... For, he's telling you the reason why, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. The Bible says as Christians our citizenship is in heaven that our true home as God's adopted children is not in this world, but in the new heavens and the new earth that is to come. This world, the city we live in now, will one day be gone. But that city, that city where our home is, that city will last forever. In Revelation 22, John is given a vision of what this eternal city looks like, and here's what he says. 
The angel showed me the river of the water of life bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, that is anything outside the camp, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and His servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will have no need of lamp or light or sun for the Lord their God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Loved ones, that's what we're living for. That's the city that is to come. That's where our true home is because that's what Christ died to provide for us. That's the city that will last forever. The city that will never be destroyed by sin or death or disease. That's the city that is so glorious there is no need for any source of light other than God Himself who is there. That's the city that we need to live for. But if we're not, if this is the life that we're living for, if this is the city for which we are devoting our time and our efforts and our money, if we are striving for our best life now instead of our best life later, then we will never follow Jesus outside the camp. We will never live a life of sacrifice. More than that, though, if we are living for this world, then we're foolish. Why would we live for something that will one day become nothing? Barely a memory after 10 trillion years into eternity. Why do we do it? Why do we invest so much into the here and the now of the toys and the trinkets and the things that were not going to matter to us one iota for the vast, vast majority of our eternal existence? Maybe that's one thing that this bad economy can teach us. We cannot nor should not put our hope or security in the things of this world. Not our jobs, not our bank accounts, not our retirement funds. Why? Because by their very nature, they are fleeting. They are fleeting. I was listening to one ministry leader who said that basically their ministry that had spawned books and held conferences and did so many things was essentially reduced to a website. I said, what happened? And he said, one of the major donors, their stocks went down from $74 a share to $0.15 cents a share, so the funds dried up. You know how quickly it can happen. Whether through sinful mismanagement of finances in some corporate office somewhere, or whether by natural disaster, what we have in this life is inherently fleeting. It is like a whiff of smoke, a vapor that is there one second and gone the next. But Hebrews says, we have a city that will not end. We have a city that will last forever. And that is where our hope lies. That is where we're building our investment in. What is going to be forever with us there? Our stuff? No, but people will. People will. And so the question is, do you want to have... Do you want to have a life free of sacrifice now? Or do you want to be able to link arms and arms and help take into that next life with you eternal beings who otherwise would spend an eternity in hell? That's why we sacrifice. That's why we endure suffering and shame. The last time I went to Africa, I had someone write me a letter saying they were giving me some money for the trip, but it wasn't a lot because they didn't think it was right for me to go. 
After all, I had a young wife and even younger children, and I shouldn't be headed off to a poor country with disease and large mosques. But when you get home from a trip where two men who are formerly Muslims publicly confessed Christ as Lord, when you read a letter from missionaries afterwards that says you left behind those people that were struggling to understand why in their minds wealthy Americans would take time to buy them supplies and teach them how to run a bakery. And from that act of small act of generosity and sacrifice, they were able to hear the gospel over and over and over again. And when you think of them standing side by side with you in the city that is to come, you realize it is definitely worth it. It is worth it to go outside the camp. So loved ones, think about this this morning. Are we going to reach Bay City for the gospel if we always have everything that we need, if everything always goes right and we never experience any difficulty? Or do you think we're going to reach the Bay City for the gospel if we say, all I need is Christ, you can have everything else? What if instead of running from sacrifice when it comes, we embraced it because we knew that God's glory is most clearly seen in the midst of our sacrifice for Him? What if we understood the difference it makes in telling someone the gospel if, it's, if it cost us, if we sacrifice time and money and comfort and safety to tell it to them? I think it would make a difference. I think it would make a big difference. If we are going to make disciples, if we are going to fulfill the Great Commission, if we are going to complete the mission that God has assigned to us, then we are going to have to embrace sacrifice. We are going to have to endure difficulty. We are going to have to go outside the camp with Jesus. Let's pray.